You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right, well, good morning, Anthem Church. You can take out your Bibles. We're going to be in James chapter 5 this morning. Happy Thanksgiving. We got some families in town uh, visiting, so we're glad you are spending your Sunday morning with us. And so, um, James chapter 5, and, and what we're going to talk about today is where you find your treasure. It's, he's going to talk about money, and so scripture goes there, so we're going there. We've been in James all fall, and so we continue in James chapter 5. And it's fitting, I think, this text is coming after perhaps the most materialistic day in our nation, like Black Friday, right? Okay, y'all, I knew I was going to preach on this today. And I needed some sermon illustrations, so I went out on Black Friday. And this was like my first experience, let me tell you about it, okay? So I show up, I'm going to Walmart, like, as soon as the deal starts, something like, no, you didn't. I did. That's how much I love you guys, right? I, I parked the vehicle, and I'm walking up to the store, and I'm like, something's different. Like that armed officer, police officer, like in uniform at the front doors. Like that's unique. That's not normally there. I'm getting ready to cross the street. (laughs) You can't make this up. There's a car that goes by so loaded down with presents that the children that were in back had like the presents piled on top of them. And all I saw was this little face like peek out. And this kid had his crazy eyes on. He's like slapping his present and like nodding his head. Like he just won. And I'm like, dude, okay, we're not even in the door yet. Okay. News to me, I'm not a Black Friday shopper. You go in and it looks like some post-apocalypse sort of deal. Like you walk into Walmart and there are barricades like where you can't turn this way or that way. They are herding you like cattle. And there is caution tape everywhere. Okay, this was news to me. And so I'm walking in. The first, the first family I encounter, Walmart was running these deals on like, uh, like stuffed animals, but not like little stuffed animals, the gigantor ones. Like once, legitimately, my size. These, in this family, they had three giant sloths. And they had them like draped over like their back and were like pushing a car and like walking with their sloths. I'm like, oh, three? Like one is too many. Three is just ridiculous at this point. So I'm having fun. But then you get to like the the corner where you start getting towards like the electronics. And there are four police officers in uniform. And there is a disgruntled like customer that they're interacting with. Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, this sermon illustration is not worth it, right? Like, I do not know what is going on here. And so there is, like, a little bit of terror in my heart, like, what? And so I, I try and find an employee that's slightly less terrified than me. So I, I find this gal, and because it's not just a sermon illustration. I wanted to get some bigger TVs for our new space so that we can, it's a little bit bigger. So I was like, and they're selling them for a nickel on Black Friday. I'm like, let's pick a few up, no big deal. And so I... I find this gal, she points me back towards the food aisle, because apparently, like, nobody's buying food. There are now, like, runways for lining up for electronics. Yeah, like, I'm crazy. Like, maybe you've been here, but this is news to me. You go and you line up in the food aisle, they give you a slip of paper, you go to the checkout, the guy's like, just pull around back, we'll just load you up, and then all of a sudden, like, it starts to feel a little sketchy. It's like you're going back behind Walmart, 
and they're like, come here, come here, you know, and you pull up, and like the, like the automotive department, like the garage door rolls up, and there's like these, you know, guys like loading out TVs, you're like, I'll take a couple, and so I got a picture of them, look, look at these TVs, man, do you have a picture, that's the bed of my truck, like they filled up the bed of the truck, I'm pretty excited for us church that, that we snagged a couple of those deals, so success, However, like, the reality is, like, while my experience was, was fun and entertaining, the reality is that there was, a, there was a 12-year-old gal that got hit by a passing bullet in Alabama at a mall. There's an actual website that keeps track of, like, the Black Friday death counts because people get so crazy over technology treasure that is here today and going to be obsolete tomorrow. Nobody stampeded over an iPhone 7 this weekend. But a few years ago, that would have been commonplace, right? It's, it's, it's incredible what this materialistic treasure, uh, so to speak, does for people. And it's, it's a real thing. And, and, and Paul would write to Timothy, he'd say, hey, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he's writing to church people because he goes on to say, through its craving, some have wandered away from the faith. James picks up this sentiment in James chapter 5, and he's writing to church people, and he's saying, you need to take inventory. Where is your treasure at? Are you more excited about the the deals you scored on Black Friday? Or are you going to have a heavenly treasure? And we're going to see in Scripture today, God's not opposed to us getting treasure, church. Jesus just makes it very clear where it's found and how to obtain it. And so it's fitting that James is going to go there today, that Jesus talks about this. And so I want to just dive in as we see right away in verse 1. What does he say in James chapter 5, verse 1? He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the, the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, time out. Right away, we learn kind of like how he starts out this, this come now, same language he used in last chapter. And the tone would have been more of like the, hey, come here, like now, like listen. Really? I'm trying to think of like a phrase like that we would use now where it's like, listen, come here, now. The language is saying, come now, listen up. If you're rich, you need to be weeping and howling. And instantly when I read this, I'm like, I'm not one of the rich people. Do you know this? That if you, your household makes $34,000, you're in the top 1% of the world. It's crazy. Like you start thinking about it, if you have food in the refrigerator at home, there's a few things there. What, you have a refrigerator. Already that separates you categorically. You have a home. Like If you know where your next meal is coming from, I mean, most of our problems, church, they're first world problems. If you've been around the world, you realize like we are rich. I'd say even college students, guys, rich, we just have an abundance And what he's saying is he's talking to those of us. He's saying, listen, you need to take assessment of your situation here. And he goes on to say, your riches, in verse 2, have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days, not the right kind of treasure. It says, the fact that there is corrosion is evidence against you. 
What he's talking about is, is church people are storing up their possessions, and they've got clothes that they're not wearing, and at that time, they didn't have the mothballs to put in the closet, and so moths are getting in and just eating their excess clothes. Their, their money's just sitting in a pile somewhere, and it is getting corroded, and that corrosion, that the moth-eating stuff is evidence against them. It's so reminiscent of Jesus' words in Matthew 6 where he's saying, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I'm reading this and I'm realizing, guys, I have stuff in my closet. There's not moths eating it, but it's certainly not getting used. Right? Not even just in our closet like... I was looking for some hunting gear, and I'm down in our laundry room, and I'm like, where did this coat come from? And you're just digging through all the coveralls, the extra hats, the gloves, the stuff you don't wear. I think in the spirit of the text here is what he's saying is that stuff is speaking against you, meaning that there are 3,000 refugees in our city, many of whom which come directly from overseas and land here in America and don't have anything. And I personally, as your pastor, I have gloves, hats, coats sitting in my house being unused. Meanwhile, refugees are going cold in Columbia, Missouri. All of a sudden, you guys are like, I have stuff in my closet too. Right? It is evidence against us. And we're not even talking about giving out of, out of need. We're talking about just giving out of plenty. Stuff that you don't want, but it's a matter of just simply taking the time to give it to those in need. Does that make sense? Saying that, woe to you. Hey, come on now, really. Think about that. People are cold, without clothes, and your 17th coat that you're never going to wear, you can't even bag it up. Guys, we do our men's ministry at City of Refuge. Like this ministry that helps refugees. We do it every Friday. It would have been nothing these past weeks to load some of that stuff up and take it to my buddy Garrett and drop it off and put that stuff to use. What he's saying is... Come on, really? Really? Is that where we're at? Again, we're not even talking about, uh, we're talking about giving out of our plenty. And I think, I don't know what the mentality is. It's like, well, I'm going to save it just in case. Just in case what? Like the 80s call and they want their ski suit back? Like you're not going to use it. And I, I want to, in my heart, we're not even talking about generosity, but just putting to use that which, again, in our town, moth and corrosion is just eating up. Does that make sense? James is writing to church people saying, come on. And not only this, not only not giving out of, of, of the plenty that we have. He's saying that's not right, but you love money so much you're holding on to it, and you're willing to go to great lengths to get it. See what he says in verse 4. It continues. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What he's saying is, you employed these people to go out and harvest your crop. You got the laborers, you got the harvesters, and you've defrauded them by not paying what was due them. Want money so much that you're willing to defraud people in order to save a buck and rip these guys off. Now, most people are like, well, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> right? We never think of that. Here's 
perhaps more of a our town kind of context. How many like, you don't have to raise your hands, but Craigslist, uh, our Facebook marketplace, like purchasing stuff. There's a difference between getting a good deal on something and then flat out defrauding somebody and not giving them like what it was worth. Does that make sense? Like even the guys on American Pickers or Pawn Stars, like they will pay people what their thing is worth. If you've seen those shows, you know without fail, somebody comes in, they're like, I think it's worth a nickel. And they're like, it's actually worth $10,000. Like let's arrange a fair deal. Man, I don't want to be the kind of person that takes advantage of somebody when you're purchasing something and essentially defrauding them. Like let's pay people what it's worth. I don't want to applaud somebody that defrauds, and I certainly don't want to be the one that defrauds. Like, question your heart. How would you respond if a cashier or waitress doesn't charge you the correct amount? Likely that has happened, right? Where you know what the tally is supposed to be, and it's like, wait, did they overcharge me or undercharge me? Because if they overcharge me, somebody's going to hear about it, and they're going to fix it, and then take 20% off. But what about if they undercharge something? You know, they, 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 they sold you or they rang up an individual when it was supposed to be a pack. Or perhaps they forgot, you know, that appetizer you ordered. And it's like, well, it's their mistake. Does somehow their mistake make it okay to defraud them of what was due them? Does that make sense? What's, what goes on in the heart? Maybe you're like, man, our pastor is wicked. Maybe it's just me. But I just want to ask, like, do we find, like, our security in saving that extra dollar versus being fair and being just or being right and being having integrity is the contrary true. And so here's, he goes on to say, here's what's, here's what's actually happening. Like you think that defrauding or you think that, that saving those things up for a rainy day provides a level of security. No, he says verse 5 and 6, you have lived on earth in luxury, in self-indulgence, and you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What's he mean by this idea of like fatten yourself for the day of slaughter? So a few months ago, we got some chickens at our house, and we decided to raise them in our garage. Sarah was going to see her sister. We needed a little distraction for my four daughters. Dad needed some help. So these chickens helped babysit, right? So we got a picture of this. Nate, if you want to put this up. So here's a picture of, of Tally holding, and you're like, oh, that's cute. They don't look like that anymore. Mm-mm. Those things got ugly, okay? What she's holding is I think they call it like a corner uh, fryer chicken, something like this. These things are mutants, okay? They, I, what green slime they stepped in, I am unsure. But like they go from that little chick to in six weeks being full grown. Like you go to bed and you wake up and you're like, they are bigger than when I went to bed. Like you watch them grow, okay? So... They're growing, and so we kind of butchered them in shifts because we got 30 of them, and that's just too much, you know, to do in a day. And so uh, we're kind of doing that. We've got some now, and, like, me and my girls are like, we're going we're gonna to see how big we can get them. They're like the size of turkeys running around, right, after eight weeks. They're huge. But six weeks in, we're like, hey, let's butcher some. Which ones do you think we picked out of the 30? The scrawny, skinny ones or the fat, plump ones? The fat, plump ones, right? 
He's saying, so it is with you that self-indulge, you have three of everything, and you just consume, consume, take care of yourself. You're fattening yourself up. You are primed for the slaughter on that day of judgment. Does that make sense? That's the, it's a warning. Saying you're fattening yourself up, and you think, oh, look at how secure I am. I imagine the big chicken, like, at the feeder, boxing everybody out. He's like, ha, ha, ha. like, <laughs> you're the one that's going to lose your head. Like, such boasting would be foolishness. And you better believe that's exactly how it went down six weeks in. Let's find the fat one. He's saying, so it is with you that defraud, that you store up treasures here on earth. You're living in luxury. Enjoy it. Because your best life better be now. Live it up. Because there will be a day when you have to give an account for such selfishness. Romans 2.5 says, you are storing up wrath. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath in the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's the alternative. is not finding our treasures at Black Friday or defrauding people on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. It's not by trying to hoard it up by being like the fat chicken boxing everybody out and like, I must get all the, you know. Here's the alternative. Is storing up treasures in heaven. And I understand that's churchy, so we'll break that down. But God's not opposed to you having treasure. Just tells us where to find it and how to obtain it. Again, Matthew 6, Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Like, take an inventory. Like, how is our eternal treasure portfolio doing that investment because the reality randy alcorn in his book treasure principle he's like you can't keep it but you can send it on ahead investing in things in eternal significance c.s lewis said it like this live for heaven get earth thrown in live for earth and get neither live for heaven and get earth thrown in live for uh live for heaven and get earth thrown in live for earth and get neither How's a heaven portfolio, heavenly portfolio doing? And some people say, well, I w- Pastor, I would. I would invest in those things. I just, I just don't have much money. My question, my honest question is, is, do you let your giving determine your living, or is it the other way around? What I mean by that is, is do you say, well, by the time I go out to eat, get a few cups of coffee, pay for cable television, I really just don't have much left at the end of the month to give. Understandably so. If you're doing life like that, what you're saying is, once all my needs are met, then I'll think about God. And Scripture would push us to say, let your giving determine your living. Who should get first, God or you? God. So let your giving determine your living. Say, I'm going to give this much, then I'm going to figure out and live off of what's left. The general principle here is you're going to tell your money what it's going to do. You're going to have a plan for it, and you're going to make uh, eternal investments. It's not complicated, but I am working with college students. Such a big proponent of it's not about how much money you make when you graduate. It's how you steward that which you're given. I've seen it even within our own church community people recently, and they could testify to this, who their salaries did not change, but their mentality did. And they said, we're going to give first, we're going to adjust our living, and they went from some $20,000 in credit card debt with no change in their income a year and a half later to being out of debt, 
giving more generously that whole time than they've ever given. And just to see, like, again, just a change of perspective. Change things. Does that make sense? Like, I, trying to, to save your life and buy security and get all that stuff, it's ironic that so much of that materialism actually leads to a lack of it. I think so many people in here find out, like, as you're generous and you're selfless, for some reason, God continues to entrust with more and more. It's the general principle that you see here. And I, we don't talk about money a whole lot, but we ought to in order to say thank you. <laughs> like Anthem Church, genuinely, thank you for your generosity. You guys kill it. Like you really do. When we get to go back to like the churches that, you know, that we're kind of affiliated with in Iowa and talk to those guys, you are the boast that we go back with. Like this is the most generous church in the network. Again, we, you know, we don't have a couple thousand people, perhaps like Cornerstone does, but when you look at person for person, what college and community do, this church is incredibly generous. And it's not a competition, but it's fun to go back and be like, but if it were, you know, our people at Anthem, you know, just saying, church plant, woo. Like, it is a joy that get to have because you guys crush it, and it's not just not just like the sheer amounts that are given, but, but where that money is coming from. To see college students, like giving generously, sacrificially, off their dining services, jobs, whatever they're doing, it's like, <laughs> man, part of me is like wants to call some of them up and be like, you can keep some of this, right? Like, I saw your shoes and your jeans. Like, go get something nice. But, but just the heart is just to want to give generously, to see community people. There's community people that are like, they start coming, saying, this is my church. I'm going to give generously. Like, we're at a spot now as a church plant. We have been from day one. This is unheard of in, in kind of new startup world where day one, the people of Anthem have given to the spot where they have fully paid for the ministry being done. And so all that stuff that our churches sent with us has honestly just gone into our future building savings account. Like the people of Anthem, you guys, give at a level to pay for that ministry. We're right now, year to date, kind of at 98% of our expected giving. You guys give generously. We say, hey, let's fill some shoeboxes. You fill shoeboxes. And, and it's, it's not just the sheer number, but, but it's coming from, I, I would say, it's about 90% of the people that call Anthem home give at some level. Like, that's encouraging for me. Like, not only do we want to hit 100% of our, our budgeted number, but we would want 100% participation. Everybody bought in. And that's what's happening here. And so it's an incredible thing. We've got to teach the text for what it's worth. And I don't believe that's quite what's happening at the church there where James is giving this warning. But honestly, I feel like I can use a different tone. With most of y'all, it's like, keep doing what you're doing. And for those visiting, they're like, do they just talk about money? No, this is where Scripture is going. But we, there's a reason I should just share this with everybody that comes regularly. We don't pass the plate here because we don't want people to feel obligated to give. You're, you're visitors, it's, so it's not like if, if somebody comes over to our house and we have a nice meal, like we, we pass it around and be like, you want to chip in, you know, to pay for that meat you just ate? One free. You don't do that to guests, right? And we don't do that to church guests where it's like, hey, you know. No, like 
our people, we got it, okay? But, if, but there is a reality where there are some people that say, I love Anthem Church. This is my home church. I love its people. But your giving doesn't align with that. It's either non-existent or negligible. I would say from Scripture, what you see here is, come on. And, and don't think that me saying that, like somehow, like if you start giving, my kids have a better Christmas. Like that's not how this works, right? Like it doesn't just like, no, I, God doesn't need your money. Anthem doesn't need your money, but you need to give your money. Because you might think that holding on to it, when the reality is that it has a hold of you. And so if you're one that would say, I love God, I love this church, then let your giving determine your living. Let your generosity be shown. Come now. If not, woe to you, because you're being generous towards something, and it's yourself. Again, your problem's not with me. Take it up with the Lord. We're in a spot where our people are going to give generously, but you need to give. Because the motivation is that your treasure is not going to be found with your current methods. Like it won't leave you satisfied in this life or the life to come. 2 Corinthians 9, why, why do I want you to get on board with giving? He'd say in 2 Corinthians 9, I don't know if we have this on the slides here, Nate, but he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Another way to interpret that last part, God loves a hilarious giver. Like, sow generously so you can reap generously. Do you understand the concept? Like, if you plant a garden and you plant a little garden with just a few seeds, you're going to have a little harvest. <laughs> what he's saying Financially, if your investment in kingdom things is a little bit, you have a little harvest. He's saying so generously, trust me in this. Say elsewhere in scripture, put me to the test. Don't you know I feed the birds, I, I, I clothe the flowers of the field? Don't you know who you're talking to? God, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Try me. God loves a cheerful giver, which... Again, it's just one more evidence that God loves my wife, okay? Let me explain what I mean by that. My wife, Sarah, is what I would say a cheerful giver and or hilarious giver. And dates clear back to early on in our marriage. We were young, married people. We were in Ames. And Ames was doing this thing, uh, our church there, where they were saying, hey, we're going to do a one-time give. It's going to go to this ministry, this ministry, this ministry. It was something local national, kind of global. They said, anything we get in this day, the one day that we're going to pass the basket, we're going to give to those things. I thought, cool, I'd like to be a part of that. And so me and my wife were kind of discussing what we should do. And Sarah says, I got an idea. Let's each write down a number of what we think we should give, and we'll just take whichever number's higher. I thought, okay, that's fine. It's a good idea, right? I, <laughs> we wrote down numbers. I wrote down numbers. She wrote down a number. Y'all, we were not even categorically in the same range whatsoever. Hers was much higher, okay? Like, much, much higher. I looked at it, and I'm like, you know, I, didn't, I was looking for, like, the decimal point that, like, was the sense column in there, but it wasn't sense. It was just that many zeros, and I'm like, this, 
this is actually sacrificial. Like, we might have to change something about how we live in order to give this generously. I'm challenged by that. But this idea that are we making kingdom investments? And I, it's interesting how this all lines up. And honestly, we are not smart enough to, to think through this strategically with our teaching schedule, with where we're at in the life of church. In fact, a month and a half ago, their building prospect was never even a thing. But just how God aligns this text to come before next Sunday's big give. And we haven't talked about it yet as a couple, like exactly what we're going to give. But I'm slightly terrified and excited to have that conversation with my wife. And I love that, that in doing so, it does something great in our hearts, I think, when we say, no. This is what we're going to do with our money. This is where our investment's going to be. But what he's going to say here, he's going to, he's going to continue with that. In verse 7, he's going to say, if you have this mentality, this treasure in heaven mentality, he's saying, be patient, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He's going to go on to say, man, that's, that's the right thing. But you have to have a long-term perspective if you're going to have a kingdom mentality. You might not see the returns immediately, such as going Black Friday shopping, take that same amount, what you bring home in the vehicle that day, you might not see it in a one-time give or giving on a, on a regular basis. He's saying, rest assured, be patient, because you will stand, and God will say in that day, well done. And so he says, see, and he gives an example here, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the earthy, uh, early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And you've heard the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen uh, the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He uses, again, the illustration. He's saying, be patient. You understand how farmers work. You plant the seed, but it takes months before you would even harvest it. Even longer if you're, you're planting like fruit trees or something like that. He's saying, be patient. Tend it. You plant it. You weed it, you get rid of bugs, you, you spray it again, like you patiently wait for the harvest that's coming. He's saying, so it is when you have this mentality of storing up treasures in heaven, you have to be patient. Stay the course. And again, Anthem Church, I want to encourage you guys to give generously. I, stay the course. <laughs> Because there is a reward, eternal reward coming for your generosity. You're investing in things that matter. That are certainly going to last longer than the latest iPhone. That are certainly going to last longer. You can't take it with you when you die. And the fact that you get that and you're storing up treasures in heaven. Saying that's right. Be patient with that. And not only be patient. He, he's saying you might not only have to, to exercise patience. But there might be a suffering in the process. Do you see that in verse 10? The, suffering and patience, like this sacrificial nature to live like that. And he was speaking to a Jewish audience that totally would have understood the, the prophets and the suffering that so many of them endured. 
And then he references Job and Job, the suffering. And this is consequently where I'm at, actually, in my Bible read-through is in the book of Job. And if you're unaware, here's a perfectly righteous, godly guy who's just blessed and he, and he lives to, to love the Lord and, and serve him. Yet, because of a cosmic battle between God and Satan, God allows Satan, who is a destroyer, to inflict loss on Job. And in a single day, Job lost all his material possessions, lost his children. The next round, he loses his own health. And yet his response in Job chapter 1, verse 20, despite all that loss, that suffering, is to worship. And he says in Job chapter 1, 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord give, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. James says, hey, consider those guys. See their steadfastness. See their willingness to suffer. Consider those guys as you continue to be steadfast, persistent in your willingness to suffer for the Lord. Job's story ends with God's mercy and compassion. In fact, all that he had previously, God restores and then some. And I'm saying, for those who trust in Jesus and live for him, our stories end much the same way. With God's mercy and compassion being shown to us. And so my encouragement, Anthem, is in your generosity, be patient. Be patient. Consider what is being done. The kingdom work. That's going to last so much beyond like our time here on earth. It's so much fun to, to, to get the privilege to work with college students and to see that work because there is generations being forever changed by the work that we get to do amongst college students. It's on the community side. It's no different. I think of the family that reoriented their finances but ultimately reoriented their life towards Jesus and was baptized together, the husband and wife. And I think about those kids. And they get a different mom and dad now that their worlds don't revolve around materialism and racking up debt, but revolve around Jesus. And I remember interacting with the dad. I'm like, how's that going at your home? He's like, their heads are spinning. Like it, mom and dad, like it's different priorities and, and different things that, that make us angry now and uh, righteous anger versus like the worldly things. And it's the work that is done, not only in, in their lives, but their kids' lives, and Lord willing, their kids' lives. Anthem, do we want to continue to invest and do the right things? Storing up treasures in heaven. And then he ends with this. He, he's saying, brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or under oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So they may not fall under condemnation. This is really in the text where he's talking about giving generously, and I feel like it aligns with 2 Corinthians 9, where he's saying, hey, decide in your heart what it is you're going to do. Don't do it under compulsion, but decide. Prayerfully consider, and then just do that. So he's saying, follow through. So for an example, when I stand up before you guys and I say, I got a lot of gear that I think could be put to use. All, all these warm clothes that, that could be given away. What he's saying is, you need to make good on that. 
If God's laid that on your heart, you know it's the right thing to do, you should probably do that. And now I have all you people to hold me accountable, right? Saying, let your yes be yes, no be no. Decide what it is going to be you're going to do. Be, make good on your word. Man, I want to encourage you guys. I hope you do hear that spirit of encouragement. If you are in the spot, though, where you're like, I should probably change my giving to do something or to do more. I'd say, that's not me calling you by name. You need to take that up with the Holy Spirit, prayerfully consider, and then make good on that. Does that make sense? It's not enough to have good intentions like, "Mm, I should totally do that. That's right. And then not do it. And for those that are giving generously, genuinely, you don't need my thanks, but hopefully you hear it from the Lord, that you are aligning scripturally with what God would want. And here's what's happening. We're going to celebrate communion. It's this idea that, that we can do all this in light of what God has done for us. Does that make sense? God is calling us to be no more generous than he already has been by sending his son Jesus to die for us. Does that make sense? Giving back a little bit. Do you understand the audacity? Like, scripturally, God's saying, hey, you can keep 90%. Just give me 10% of that paper stuff. Right? That's an Old Testament principle like tithing. Meanwhile, the level of generosity that God has shown is like, I will lay down my life as a perfectly righteous God. I will lay down my life for sinners who are far from me so that they can come to know me. I can say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so God is not calling us to do or be any more generous than he's already been towards us. And so Anthem Church, I think it starts with figuring out how to give out of the excess of what we have. Looking in our garage, looking in our closets, looking in our driveway and figuring out, is there excess? Can we start there? And I believe it's continuing to take that next step with that mentality that our home is heaven. And we can't keep this stuff. And the best thing we can do is send it on ahead and have eternal ramifications for what we do with our time, our talents, and certainly our treasure. Does that make sense? So we're going to have an opportunity to, to take communion, and I'm going to invite the band up, and they're going, to, they're going to play. But you get to make your way to a communion table, and I just, I just want you, as we take communion today, say, God, what would you have for me? Like, is there anything, Lord, that you would want for me? And to have a hands-open mentality where everything is fair game. And I just say this in principle, not only... Uh, this is a little tidbit, uh, but um, in the name of stewardship, we're called to be good stewards of our stuff. In the name of stewardship, are you still willing to let people use your things even though you know it might not come back as good as you sent it off? Does that make sense? Like, we need to have a, an open-handed mentality because none of it's ours. We're merely stewards of it. And so do we have an open hand towards our time, our talents, and our treasure? And so I would love for you to approach that communion table with an open hand. Before we take the gift and recognize what Jesus has done for us, would we be in kind and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, and have an open-headed mentality. So the band's going to play, and in your time, you can just make your way back to one of the communion stations and take communion together. I'll pray for us. God, I do, do thank you that 
that our hope is not in what we can amass here on earth, that our hope is in heaven, and you made a way through sending your son Jesus to redeem us back. And so, God, we praise you, and we thank you for that. We just declare that is where our hope is at. That is where our treasures is at. And it frames in what we do with what you've given us now, how we steward our time, how we steward our talents and treasures. And so, God, thank you for providing that perspective in Jesus. And do just pray that this church would continue to set a pace with generosity, that you would continue to use us to, to put clothes on people's back, that you would use us to, to love our neighbors well, to treat people right, even strangers. God, that you would use us to proclaim the gospel, not only with our words, but with our actions, that we would match your generosity as you gave it all. So just pray that you would remind us of that as we take communion.